Today we'll continue our summer school series, and uh, the first time I preached uh, of, of this series this year, we do it every summer, uh, was on May the 20th, of course, that was the day of Pentecost, we talked about Pentecost Sunday, the event, what that means for us, and today I really feel like the Holy Spirit has, has spoken to me uh, about Hosea, and um, partially because um, the situation that, that we face, even as a nation, uh, but also uh, a personal thing that I believe that the Lord wants to show us in our lives as well. So Hosea chapter 1, verse 2 and 3. When the Lord first spoke to Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take for yourself a wife of harlotry and children of harlotry. For the land has committed great harlotry, departing from the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblim, as a wife. She conceived and bore him a son. If you're unfamiliar with the story that takes place in the book of Hosea, I would encourage you to take time and to read what happens? Now, I'm going to give you the cliff notes today and kind of set up what's taking place and what's going on. But it's such an incredible story and such a beautiful picture of God's faithfulness. The book of Hosea itself was written sometime around 722 BC. Hosea was a prophet, they call him a minor prophet. Now, if you've ever heard these two distinctions in Scripture, major prophet and minor prophet, minor does not mean that they are less. Minor just means that their books are shorter. Major prophets, Ezekiel, Isaiah, longer books. Minor prophets, people like Hosea or Amos or Micah, you begin to see those. It's not because that means that they are less of a prophet. It just simply means that their books are not as lengthy. So Hosea lived and he prophesied in what was called the northern kingdom or what was Israel after the nation of Israel had been divided. The northern part was referred to as Israel and the southern part as Judah. Now, he prophesies most about the northern part of Israel, but he does mention Judah and the southern part of Israel. Some scholars believe that he actually will go and spend his last days in Judah. Hosea would be the Jeremiah, if you will, of the northern kingdom. He was sent not only to speak, but to suffer. He was sent to be God's mouthpiece and example. The tragedy in Hosea's home life was a divinely planned illustration. It was not an accident. God intentionally used his life to illustrate the tragedy that was happening in in his homeland. And that's what the book is all about. Hosea begins his ministry in a time of prosperity. It's a good time. Things are going well economically. But spiritually, they are tanking fast. With economic prosperity comes spiritual trouble for the northern kingdom. There are three major themes in the book of Hosea. By the way, if you have the church app, all this is on the notes app. Uh, If you'll click notes, it'll say summer school, Hosea, and literally everything I'm saying right now, you'll have it in front of you. Or you may like to take notes, or you may like to listen, or you may like to sleep. Um, It's all right. No. (laughs) There are three major themes that are in Hosea. Spiritual adultery, the need for a knowledge of God, In God's redeeming love. 
Now, in marriage, when there's a violation of the covenant, we refer to that as adultery. In marriage, whenever one person is unfaithful to the covenant they've made with God, it is adultery. Now, adultery comes in several ways. Now, I'm not going to open up this can of worms today, but let me just tell you this. Adultery can be physical, but there's also emotional adultery. And I would dare to say that emotional adultery, in my opinion, is more dangerous than physical. Now, I'll dig into that one day whenever I'm talking about home improvement and we're digging into our, our series on families that's coming up. Hosea implies that spiritually God and Israel operate and are kind of seen as a husband and wife. Israel had forsaken her marriage bond with the Lord, becoming obsessed with a Canaanite god called Baal and Asherah, gods and goddesses of fertility and of things that are absolutely, totally in contradiction to God. Israel mocked the divine love that had made her God's chosen people. Israel was committing spiritual adultery. So what happens? God uses a very unique way to paint this picture through the prophet Hosea. Hosea is a prophet of the Lord and he hears the Lord. And the Bible says, when the Lord first spoke by Hosea, the Lord said to him, go Take for yourself a wife of harlotry. The word harlotry in the original Hebrew here is used no less than 16 times within the first two chapters. Now, there are some people that, that whenever they, they read this, they, they have a debate whether or not she committed adultery after or if she was really a prostitute before. The word and the wording and the verbiage that's used here and the way that the grammar is said in Hebrew, it says she was a woman of harlotry. She was a harlot. He understood when he was marrying her, she wasn't the good girl that was going to wear the white dress. He knew where he was going. Most people say she was probably a paid prostitute for the Canaanite worship and at the temple. But could you just imagine with me how this would happen? Hosea, the voice of the Lord speak. Hosea, in his response to God, yes, God, I hear you. Hosea, I, I, have, a, I have something I want you to do. And as any prophet or, or follower of Jesus, Lord, yes, I'm ready. Hosea, I want you to go to the red light district and I want you to find for yourself a wife among the prostitutes. Come again? I'm your prophet. I know very well who you are, Hosea, and I need you to go and find a prostitute. And bring her to your house and make her your wife and she'll bear children for you. Because Hosea, the way that you will love her is the way that I love Israel. And the way that she treats you will be the way that Israel treats me. Can you imagine what went through Hosea's mind? We don't know exactly what went through his mind, but we do know what happened. He did what God told him to do. We don't know the circumstances of the courtship. We don't know what happened with the marriage. We do understand that as a wife of harlotry, she had a reputation. And now they're going to have children. 
And these children all have a symbolic relationship, even in their names, with Israel and the Lord. Now, Gomer is the name of his wife. And Gomer's going to have three children. And Gomer is representative, uh, represents in this story, in this prophecy, in this book, the nation of Israel. Their children will represent the people of Israel. And Hosea himself will represent the Savior of Israel. As a matter of fact, in Hebrew, the word Hosea is another variation of Joshua, which means Savior. Hosea's name alone indicates where he is supposed to be in this story. They have a son named Jezreel. Now, Jezreel is not a good place. Jezreel is a location. Jezreel is is different things that takes place. Jezreel is actually going to be one of the places where the last battle that takes place with Armageddon. It's, It's all in the same location. And so it's not a good, reputable thing. After the son named Jezreel, a daughter is born named Lo-Rumaha. That means I no longer have mercy on you. After that, a son named Lo-Ami, which means you are not my people. Can you imagine naming your child something that represents God's judgment upon your people? Can you imagine the ridicule and the different things that that Hosea probably went through? Maybe other prophets around him. You've lost your mind. You're going to lose your influence. You're going to lose your ministry. I wish every preacher in America could hear that. We're sometimes so worried about losing people that we don't tell the truth. The gospel is offensive. And if I truly am preaching the gospel, then the gospel will offend me and it will offend you. And if the gospel is not offending one of us, then I'm not preaching the gospel. That's truth. But we're so worried sometimes about butts in the pews and bucks in the plate that we don't tell the truth. Here's the truth. That God... Loves us unconditionally, but sometimes we are no different than the people of Israel. Hosea chapter 3, verse 1 through 3, and they'll have that on the screen. You, 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 did I skip that? That ain't got me thinking now. Hang on. Hosea 3, 1 through 3, Then the Lord said to me again, Go again, love a woman who is loved by a lover and is committing adultery, just as the Lord loves the children of Israel, who look for other gods and love raisin cakes. Raisin cakes is something that's taking place with idol worship here. So I purchased her for myself for 15 shekels of silver and for a homer of barley and a half a homer of barley. Then I said to her, You'll remain with me many days. You will not play the whore. And you will not belong to another man, and also I will be with you. If you've never read Hosea, he's not going to find another prostitute. He's going to get back the one that ran away from him and continued her lifestyle. And here's what happens. God has used this as an illustration of his redeeming love. 
and how even when they were in the midst of sin and, and, and being looked down on Gomer's lifestyle, God loved her or loved Israel enough to use this for an example. Hosea, I want you to go as the Savior. Pulled her out, brought her in, made her his wife. She went from a harlot to the wife of a prophet. And now, while she's the wife of a prophet, she goes off again and she commits adultery against her husband. And he literally goes and he buys her back. And the Bible says he takes 15 shekels of silver and about three buckets, if you will, three five-gallon buckets of barley. Barley, of course, can be used to, to, to make different things, but it was a, a poor man's grain, if you will. Most likely, the person he bought her back from was not very wealthy. But he goes back and he tells her this, you're going to come and you're going to be with me. You're going to live with me. You're not going to continue to do this. God spoke and God sent him there. Israel was a nation that was patiently loved by God despite of her sin. And although Israel was to be left to her own demise, God chose to forgive and redeem her sin. Even in the midst of her mess, he showed mercy. Hosea experiences tragedy in his home as well as in his household. In his homeland, he's experiencing a people who are rebellious against God. Even in his own home when he's trying to be a prophet and trying to be the voice of God and trying to be the example for God, he's still experiencing what is unfaithfulness in a mess. But Hosea understands that his name is symbolic of who God is, a Savior. And even in the midst of tra tragedy, we see God's love. Three different ways. Number one, we see the absolute love of God. God's love is absolute, friend. It is not found on some passing emotion, but it's based on his character. You and I can have emotional love at times. There's times where people tell me, I love you, and I'm like, don't say that. You don't even know me. Then there's times where people say, I love you. I'm like, don't say that because you sure don't show me. Then there are times where people say, I love you. And I know, I know that I know that I know that they mean what they said. Guess what? There's times where I'm the same way. Love you. And I wonder how they would judge if they were the ones who was the determining factor of if I really do. I love you. wonder if I act like it towards them. Or when I say I love you, maybe they know, you know what? He means what he says. He, he loves me. God's love is absolute. And it's not based on a situation or a circumstance. There are people who get upset sometimes because of some, something so small and so minute. And they allow this wedge to be driven in between them. And, and, it, and it bars a, 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 an ability to love. But God's not that way. It's a part of his character. This kind of love is, is not comparable to anything else. This is the kind of love that saw Calvary before creation. Amen. Now don't miss that. Amen. This kind of love saw Calvary before creation. What do you mean, preacher? From the very foundations of the world, the Bible said the lamb was slain. Before he ever formed, 
and created and spoke into existence, God had a plan. God knew in his foreknowledge that if he acted in creation, one day he would have to act in redemption. That's love. That's absolute love. Creation is a place where God displays his wisdom and his power, but redemption is the place where he displays his mercy and his grace. There's abiding love. Absolute love and abiding love. Hosea teaches us, and if you'll go home, read through Hosea in chapter 4, that not only is God's love absolute, but it's abiding. God knew what was going on with Israel. He knew about their apostasy, their blasphemy, their immorality, their idol worship, and everything else. Yet he loved Israel still. He still called them my people. Just as Hosea called Gomer his wife. His love was abiding. His love was there. Even though they turned their back on him, he did not stop the love that was in his character. Scripture tells us that even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's an abiding love. Then there's another love that we see in Hosea, and it's the abounding love of God. Hosea chapter 13, verse 9. Oh, Israel, you are destroyed, but in me is your help. God speaks again in Hosea 13, verse 14. I will ransom them from the power of Sheol. Sheol is death, hell. It's also a place where they would burn stuff, just the stench, nasty. And so that was their reference to what we would say as hell. I will ransom them from the power of Sheol. I will redeem them from death. Oh, death, where are your plagues? Oh, Sheol, where is your sting? Hosea 14, 4 and 5, I will heal their backsliding. I will love them freely, for my anger has turned away from him. I will be like the dew to Israel. He shall grow like the lily, and he shall strike his roots like Lebanon. God's love is absolute. It's abiding. It's abounding. What Israel needed to experience was a genuine revival, not a series of meetings, not a guest preacher, not a conference, Not a once in a while good service. They desperately needed a revival of the Spirit of God in their lives. Israel needed to experience genuine revival. To see the heart of people brought back to God. When I tell you that I believe that God is giving us a season of harvest, I believe that if we'll obey and we'll heed his word, that this is the the highway that leads to that. Because revival has to take place in their own heart. Then revival would take place in their own home. Then revival would take place in their house of worship. This is what the Lord spoke to me late last night. Revival in your heart will precede revival in your home. And revival in your home must precede revival in the house of worship. If you want God to revive someone, start with God revive me. Then God revive my house. Then God revive my church. But it doesn't work in reverse order. The church is not built to revive you because you are the church. You're the carrier of revival. The abounding love, the abiding love, the absolute love of God. We can never expect God to do something in this room that is not desired in your own life. Don't you ever walk in this door 
and expect God to do something in this place that you have not asked him to do first in your own life. Now in this place you may experience something that God does in this room, but never forget this, what your experience in this room is the expense of someone else's desperation for God. God will honor the desperation and the hunger because the Bible tells us hunger and thirsty people will be filled. You can coattail on that, but you'll never experience true revival until you dig in and let God revive you first. I went to school at the Brownsville Revival School of Ministry. A lot of people don't know that, and I don't tell them that. I'll tell you why I don't tell them that. Because people got so caught up in the hype and an I know of people who literally got the plans to Brownsville Assembly of God and redecorated and rearranged their sanctuary to look like it. If I'm not mistaken, my Bible says that he does not dwell in places that are built by man, but in us. We're the carriers of the gospel. Revival. Revival starts when we realize that we're no different than the Gomer and the people that Hosea spoke to, that there's a Savior in a corrupt world. You want to, let me ask you this. It's hard. This is a hard question. But are we blinding ourselves? Are we fooling ourselves whenever we don't even think that we remotely come close to being like Israel? Hosea had to rebuy Gomer. How easy would it be to just let her go? How easy would it be? I was a kid. My grandmother was a church of God woman. I'm talking about, she said the blessing over her food and tongues. Would drag me to church. I sat in Sunday school service after Sunday school service and Sunday night service where the power of God would move and I would see things that my mind could not understand until she began to explain to me. The older I got, the more I realized that that it was something that was sovereign. I loved Jesus. I loved Bible stories. I tell people right now, I spent over $100,000 for my three degrees and I never learned more in a class with a professor than I did with David and Betty Breyers in Sunday school at Forest Hill Church of God when I was just a kid. But I remember whenever I got old enough to try to do my own thing. And some of you may have seen this stick before. And some of you may come in here and you may hear me preach week in and week out and have no idea, no idea the person that I was. The stick sits by my door. When I walk out of my office every Sunday, I'm reminded of who I was with the stick. Why with the stick, preacher? Because we used to get kicks out of going in downtown Mobile and going to the gay bars and catching people who were coming out of the gay bars, me and three or four of my buddies, and absolutely jumping on them and trying to kill them. I can't tell you how many times I held this in my hands and swung it as hard as I could across the back of someone that was not deserving of that kind of treatment. I thought they were different. This is wrong. They ain't supposed to live like this. And so I thought that I was God. And I was the judge. 
But I remember when I truly found Jesus and not just in a Bible story as a child. That he took a heart of flesh and he replaced it with a heart of stone. To the point where I will love people no matter where they are because he loved me where I was. I was a kid who ran away and who Jesus loved me enough just like Gomer. He came and he had paid for me once, but he was willing to show me his love for me again in a smoke-filled bowling alley and change my life. Why do I say, Jesus, you change everything? Why am I passionate that I believe God can do for everyone what he's done for me? Because he changed me. And he can change you. Some of us are so religious, we don't want to break off the religious chains that bind us back. We want to look at people and we don't want to forget. God loves people that are different from you as much as he loves you. As much. Well, they may be living in sin. Even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That means the liar, the fornicator, the adulterer, the homosexual, the Pharisee, the Sadducee. Even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Worship team, you can come. He already had her once, but he chose to go back and buy her again. He wanted to redeem what was already his. And this time he paid a price that he really did not owe. How do I experience revival in my heart? First, I need to make the first move. I need to seek him. I need to study him. A bulk of the prophets, or the prophets uh, um, story, what takes place when God speaks to him, is people don't know me. There's no knowledge of me. And he's telling them, I want you to learn. I want you to learn who I am. God is not just a person who sits up in heaven that we call on when we need something. He is the one that said that you're fearfully and wonderfully made. He's the one that calls you the apple of his eye. He's the one that knows the very number of hairs on your head. He is creator God. He did not just wind you up like a clock, turn you loose and let you live. He is actively and involved in your life, but only as much as you will let him. Gomer herself shows that you have free choice. There are people who, who believe that you are born and if you're going to heaven, you're going to heaven. If you're going to hell, you're going to hell. It's called Calvinism and hyper-Calvinism. Gomer herself proves that this is not accurate. Why? Because she willingly leaves where she has been rescued. And he loves her enough that he goes to redeem her again. How many times have I come to an altar and lifted my hands and said, God, would you forgive me? God, would you cleanse me? God, would you take it away? Only to walk back and do the same thing all over again. I'm no different than Gomer. But something happens when God revives you. When revival takes place and true repentance takes place. When the Spirit of God gets a hold of you. You seek Him. You study Him. You speak to Him. Why is it important? Why do we have tonight? Tonight is because I believe that something you see in Acts 2, 4, 2. It says they have fellowship. But it also says that they, they listen to the apostles' teaching. They break bread. They get together. Tonight we've rented out a water park, not so you can get wet and go down a slide, but so you can create community with someone else. 
If we rent the water park and everybody goes tonight and nobody leaves with a new friend or nobody leaves encouraged or nobody leaves knowing something about someone else, then it is a failure and we'll never do it again. But if we run out of water park and a hundred people show up and just one person realizes that they are belonging, they are needed, then I'll do it over and over and over because there are different creative avenues God can give us for people to know they belong to Him. Groups are important. They start this week for summer. We got groups for everybody. We got groups online that Pastor Sean's leading. We got groups on the front porch of Josh and Amanda Grawbear's house. We got groups that are going to be taking place on the golf course with Murray Woody. We got groups that are going to be taking place on Wednesdays. It's called Pepper with the Pastors. Boom. Catchy. Not really. But I told our guys, I said, we're going to Peppers for six weeks every Wednesday, and we're going to tell whoever wants to come, hang out, come hang out. Maybe you've never, ever been able to hang out with us. Come hang out with us. Believe it or not, Sean's not a half bad dude to talk to. He's average. It won't take you long to realize talking to Sean and talking to Matt Taylor is two totally different experiences. Talk to Sean, he's going to look at you. You talk to Matt Taylor, woo! Hey, you want to go rappel off the wall? No. You can talk to me too, but I'm going to eat my sandwich first. Groups are important. How do I experience revival in my heart? You seek, you study him, you speak to him. How do I experience revival in my home, preacher? You make him the priority of your house. Don't expect revival to come to your home if you do not show its importance. Church has to be important. The people of God, the teaching of God, the preaching of God's word has to be important. Teach your kids priorities. Don't expect your children to have a priority when they're an adult that is only an option for them as a child. How do we experience revival in this church? We bring it all together. When we've all been seeking him, we've all been studying, we've all been speaking. We've all been getting our homes ready and our kids ready. And it's not, oh, we got to go to church again. It's a, we get to go to church again. Let who you are and how you live come together with others and that have been redeemed and it brings us together. The hope for America is the church and the hope for the church is the redeemed. There are too many dead, dying churches in the United States of America. And the reason that the church is dead and dying is not because the building is old and dated. It's because the people on the pew have given up and are just riding the wave. Never in Scripture does God call us to be on the defensive. We're to be on the offensive and take the gospel to the ends of the earth. If revival at the assembly is depending upon you, are you, are you giving us a chance to experience revival? If revival at the assembly is dependent upon your life, can God count on you? Now, before I ask you that, I ask me this because I'm the preacher. I'm not the only one that can preach. I'm not the only one that can teach. I'm not the only one with good ideas. I'm not the only one that can lead. But I just so happen to be the one that God has placed here in this moment. And friend, if I don't get this right, we'll hit a wall. And so I've asked God, start with me. Never let me forget that stick 
and who I was and never let me forget people tell me. I've literally had people email me. You talk too much about your family. You use your little girl for an example too much. I've literally had people tell me this. You're too transparent, preacher, and it brings reproach on the church. Well, if that is the way you feel, then God bless you. Go listen to some cookie-cutter preacher because I'm real. It's the way I am. It's the way God's made me. This is my story. I have been Gomer. Let me tell you how it ends. God changes the names of the kids. From being a reproach to being proud. Through Hosea, the names of the kids are changed from you don't have any kin to we love and we welcome. No matter the state of your life, your home, or this nation, Jesus can change everything. And he's chosen to use the people of God and the church of God to be the agent of change. Now we're going to close the same way we started. I've already told you that. It says chains fall. Fear bows. Fear bows. Fear is something we fight at my house. We fight it a lot. I understand that every day that God has given me, Sadie is a blessing. And tomorrow if I have her, I'm blessed. But it doesn't remove the fear of what happens or what's going on or is she okay. She spent three nights in a hospital, two of those or one and a half of those on oxygen for a common cold that you and I would be perfectly fine with. And we sit there and we wonder what's going to be the long-term effect. Is this going to do something to her? Is she going to be okay? And about that time, she'll look at you and she'll smile. And it's like the Holy Spirit speaks to her and through her. Tell them, baby girl, I got this. And fear bows. Jesus can change everything about you. And the ones in this room, he wants to change the most, the ones who do not think they need change. I learned this after I got saved because the same streets I would go to downtown Mobile and get in fights and terrorize people are the same streets that I would go and I would share the hope of Jesus Christ. The same bars that I would pick fights in are the same bars where I would literally put my arm around someone and pray that God would bless them. Jesus changes everything. And he wants to change you. And he wants to continue to change you. And he wants to change me. But just like Gomer, we can run from that or we can stay with the Savior. And today, I'm going to close this way. I'm going to ask our worship team to lead us. And I'm going to ask you, right where you are, where are you at? Where are you at with God? We're out experiencing revival. 
I'm not talking about something that's called up by man or something that's labeled by an event. I'm talking about genuine revival in your life, in your home. And are you a contributor to seeing that experience take place? Your church. Hosea! Hosea! Yes, Lord? Hosea, I want you to go to a people and go find a woman who are so far away from me and love them. Kind of be the same way as if he just said Lexus, Deb, Jack, Murray. I want you to go to people who are messed up and away from me and I want you to love them because we are the hands and feet of a merciful and a gracious Savior if you're in this room I want you to bow your heads if you're in this room and and you say preacher I'm not where I need to be with God this is a moment that I want you to be totally honest and transparent I laid it out there for you and I want you to lay it out there for him not for me I'm not where I need to be with God or maybe I've never just really totally surrendered my life to him maybe you've never surrendered your life to him and you say you know what he loves me enough to to love me even in my mess I want to give him all I've got there's no shame in what I'm about to ask you to do I've done it I do it all the time Maybe you're in here and you're like, I've heard this, I come to church, I understand, but right now I feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit in my life because I'm religious and I can see where I can get caught up in this thing. And I need Jesus to change that. If you're here this morning and you say, I just need to shake some religious off, or maybe if you're here and you say, I'm away from God and I just need a relationship with Him. On the count of three, I just want you across the room to lift your hand up, hold it up, put it right back down. Who cares if the person next to you sees you out of the corner of their eye? They shouldn't have their eye open. Who cares if they feel you twitch? They shouldn't be feeling. But I want you to be honest with the Lord. Hosea. He needs Hosea's. And for some of us, that means we have to take and change from being the gomer. One... I've never, never given my heart to Jesus or either I'm away from God. I want you to lift your hand. Two, preacher, I'm religious and it's time to get that over with. Three, cross this room, hands up, right back down. Amen, amen, amen. I want you to stand with me. And here's how we're gonna close. Our worship team's gonna lead us in this song and then Pastor Christie at the end, if you'll just pray us out. I want you to sit here. And here's what it says. It says, let every heart be holy ground. Let every heart be holy ground. And that's my prayer. The place is not holy ground. It's a place, it's a church, it's a sanctuary. We understand its purpose is to worship. But there's nothing holy about it. Because it has not been redeemed, it has not been bought with a price, it has not been given an opportunity to come and to make things right with its creator. You and I 
are what makes it holy ground. Jesus changes everything. And if you lifted your hand for any reason today, he wants to change you. If you've never asked him into your heart, when they begin to sing, I just want you to do this. I want you to say, God, I'm a sinner. That don't mean I'm a bad person. I'm a sinner. And I want you to forgive me. Even if I don't understand everything that preacher said, I want you to help me. Help me live for you. Because his love is abiding. His love is absolute. His love is abounding. You will never understand how much he loves you. But you can accept it and you can allow him just to lavish it on you. Jesus, you change everything. They're going to sing. You can move out if you want to come to the altar, worship however you want. But I want you to sing it out, declare it, and let God do that in your life.